0: Hello and welcome to the Good Health Podcast. I'm Nicole Good, your host, functional medicine practitioner and band-registered nutritionist. It's great to have you here with me today. Before we jump into this week's episode, I want to personally invite you to join my programme, The Immune Way. This programme is for people with thyroid or immune health conditions. If you are sick and tired of trying every diet, supplement and solution under the sun, but not getting the results that you want, then this is for you. The mitoimmune way is not your typical health program. It's a revolutionary clinic experience that brings the power of functional medicine to you in a way that no one else does. Based around my tried and tested method, the mitoimmune method that I use in clinic, this is not just another group program. We've got private one-to-one consultations as well as group sessions live with me, and you can choose to have functional testing done if you wish. The hybrid one-to-one and group format allows you to get personalized solutions while being supported with a group of like-minded individuals you will not be on your own in this journey so if you are over fatigue pain or brain fog dominating your days and you're ready to start enjoying life again and making arrangements without factoring in your health come and join the mitoimmune way if you want more info you can visit our website nicolegoodhealth.com or hit the link in the show notes below this episode or drop me a dm on instagram at good with the e on the end underscore health and I will reply to you personally. Right, let's jump into today's show. This week, we're welcoming TV and radio presenter, Emma Forbes, to the Good Health Podcast. Forbes, it seems, was destined for a life in front of the camera with her father, a film director, Brian Forbes, and her mother, the actress, Nanette Newman. If, like me, you were a child in the 90s, you'll probably remember Emma for her cooking slot on Going Live, or BBC children's show, Live and Kicking, with her co-presenter, Andy Peters. For some of you who are younger than me, uh, Emma voiced Mummy Hippo in Peppa Pig. She's also done radio presenting, Heart's Breakfast Show. She's worked on Capital Radio. She's presented on BBC Radio 2 with Steve Wright and Alan Carr. And she's featured regularly on the Alan Titchmar Show. Emma now lives on the East Coast of America with her husband and has a keen interest in nutrition and cooking. Let's join our conversation as we chat all things health and wellness. Emma, welcome to the Good Health Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, I'm so thrilled to be asked. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, it's it's lovely to speak to you. So I I actually first came across you a very long time ago because I, (laughs) as a child, used to watch live and kicking with you and Andy Peters in the 90s. So that was, that's like my first introduction to you. So um, so yeah. And it's
1: a very long time ago. I got rung up the other day about it with somebody going, it's like 30. And I was like, surely it's not 30 years. That makes me feel like 180. But yes, it was. (laughs) It was. And yeah,
0: it was. And um, yeah, I loved it. I used to watch it all the time. So it's uh, it's lovely to be here chatting to you today. But since then, you've done you've done lots of this. You've done TV, you've done radio, you've host- you hosted your own podcast, which I didn't know until I sort of was doing a bit of research for today. Um, But you grew up in that sort of very creative family. Your parents were in the industry. So was was it like always on the cards for you was going into that sort of world? Was that something that was just sort of a given or was it something you chose? I think,
1: I think a bit of both. I think I wanted to find something that was different in the creative field, but I felt like, you know, my my parents did more of the kind of the acting and the film and my sister's an amazing writer and my dad wrote. So presenting, I sort of kind of fell on it because I, I, I thought, oh, this is something that's very, that nobody else in my family's doing. And I can do that where, you know, you're just basically yourself. I think, if, you know, if you're a presenter, you're not an actress, you're not being somebody else, you're sort of you doing, getting the best out of people interviewing or whatever your, you know, your job is. And I I, I did sort of fall into it in the beginning um, because I was working in PR. I worked for Moulton Brown. I worked for Lynn Frank's PR. Um, and so I think I, it, it didn't just instantly happen basically. Yeah. I think I sort of, I sort of fell into it. It took a while till I actually found that it was presenting I wanted to do, but I think that it was a bit of a given probably that I that I would go in some direction like that. I trained as a dancer when I, up to the age of 16, till so I knew I wasn't good enough to be, you know, the swan at the front. I'd have been the 15th one at the back, and I <laughs> thought maybe I'll get, I, I just don't think that's for me, um, and, so I think I sort of fell into it through creative ways. You know, I sort of went into PR, which is pretty creative, and then other little jobs until presenting hit. And I I happened to start working at the time when there were like all these new channels starting and all the satellite channels. You know, I mean I do sound 180, but it was an exciting <laughs> time. And so I was able to put together things like a showreel and learn on much smaller channels that were watched by like one man and his dog do you know what i mean so i could yeah. actually get stuff together before i could start bugging the bbc which is what i did for ages
0: and see so did you have that sort of because so i've had people on in similar industries I, I work with people in your sort of industries as well who have got that fast-paced lifestyle and I, I i guess a little bit like what you're saying there is it's probably become a lot more fast-paced now than maybe it was even back then but yeah it probably was still relatively you was probably on the go you know quite a lot with that sort of industry did you experience that was it do you think there's been a change is it more fast paced now i i really genuinely think i consider myself
1: so lucky and it's purely you know fate not whatever but that i i really think i worked in such a a golden age of tv And I'm I'm not saying it with rose-tinted glasses looking back. Honestly, they were the happiest. I mean, I just loved everything about my work. And I didn't have things like um, social media, um, you know, mobile phones and things. I mean, my kids think I'm, you know, so funny when I talk about things like this. But they were like, they were the big bricks. Do you know what I mean? Like, you didn't just have a thing in your pocket. Like, if I went on location, you had something the size of a chair that you took with you that you made (laughs) like one bad phone call too and but I think I was really lucky because it was almost like pure fun the BBC was like a family I went into the BBC you weren't followed by people you know trolling you on social media or taking pictures or you know the kids that loved Andy and I or you saying you grew up with us they were just really nice like I'm meeting you today 30 years down the line, you go, oh, I grew up with you. It was a very, I guess, more innocent time of TV. Yeah. And it was fast-paced in that I think we worked really hard. Like, we really worked hard. And I think at my crest of my wave, I guess, I was working six days a week and loving it. You know, and you really did, you did work hard and you kind of learned on the go. And I, so I, I think it has changed. I, I And I think now... It's just a very different world now. Very
0: different world to what it was when I started. It is. I think it was better back then, to be honest, which makes me sound really ancient as well. (laughs)
1: But I tend to agree, but I think what's happened now is it's so specialised. So you could say to me, actually, I really only like watching health programmes. And you don't have to watch anything else, right? You could just literally tune into health podcasts. You could just watch a health channel. And we didn't really have anything like that. So it was much more... I feel like TV was a treat, right? Christmas to me was the Morecambe and Y show. Um, the special of the generation game. It was a family thing. A little bit like when COVID happened. Like it was something you did together. Now people can just watch their TV on the bus, on their phone.
0: Yeah. It's everywhere, isn't it? I was, yeah. I was talking to, um, we had an actress, uh, Gemma, on the podcast, Um Just before the summer and she was saying the same thing she she, so she actually became a client of mine and she then came on the podcast and she said she she'd had burnout basically but she said the burnout she felt didn't actually necessarily come from the job the actual the acting part of the job she said she felt for her it came from the social media the red carpets, all the events going you know all the interviews she said all of she said everybody wants you kind of there all the time and access all the time yes you're you're it's the
1: access it's the 20 you know it's the kardashian effect right it's yeah. basically wanting to know about you 24 7 i think now there's massive pressure on and it's funny now i live in america right I, i've got you know friends that i know here in tv the pressure now that cameras and things are in hd right so it's unforgiving now right there's no you know, I. I sometimes, th- I did one appearance here on Fox News talking about the royal family. I thought, oh my God, if I was going to do this for a living, like no wonder people feel pressured to do plastic surgery. Right? Because it's like, yeah. it's it's now in such sort of, <laughs> like the whole thing is so changed. You know, I could get away with a little bit of tinted moisturizer on live and kicking and lucky if I kind of found a light that was sort of, but now it's it's, it, yeah, and it's the access. It's that sort of wanting to know every aspect of every person's life.
0: Yeah. That's it. That's exactly what, what she said. That was that was the part that she felt had impacted her health, probably yeah. more than the actual the job and the acting, which she loved and she loved her job. And you know, she said, I'm not I'm not complaining about it, it's part of the industry, but she that was that was the part she found difficult.
1: But I think I think the bit, you know, the fame does go with it, right? And that pressure and the red carpets and all the rest of it. I think the difference now is that social media has given people a bravery, right? Like if I met you when I was doing live and Kicking, you might come up and say, oh, you know, I love Andy. And, you know, people think Andy and I live together in the studio, whatever it might be, right? Where well, you might go, oh my God, I love the Spice Girls. I love them coming on. But on social media, people can go, Emma looks really tired and awful. And they have a kind of, it's sort of like taking away that barrier of meeting somebody and being nice. It's now like people can just kind of go, oh, you know, I saw X. They look terrible on the red carpet. God, yeah.
0: their figures. got." And, and you're like, wow, I don't think you'd say that to somebody's face. And back then you had to. It had to be to a person's face. So it was, you generally got the people that wanted to yeah, see you. Yeah, I
1: only met a fan physically,
0: right? So it was yeah. only
1: when I was out and about. So somebody meeting you physically, I mean, they probably walked away and went, God, she looks knackered, or whatever it was. But to your face, they didn't have that bravery. Whereas on Instagram, somebody can post a picture of an uh, an actress at a red carpet. I mean, oh, look at the Daily Mail. Read the comments underneath. People are, and I trust me, I've been a victim of that. Every year, my bum in a swimsuit, most boring picture alive (laughs) with people underneath going, my 75-year-old grandmother's got a better uh, bum than hers. And I'm like honestly <laughs> would you come up to me on the beach and say that is that really you know do we need to say that do we need to see that picture you know and and it's it's an ongoing thing
0: it is and it, and they are even from the point of view of sort of um you know body image for younger you know younger girl girl well I say girls yeah. but I think it's impacting men probably oh, I think it's huge as much invented. these days yeah I think probably starting yeah. more with girls but I think impacts probably both these days but I mean, they're so invasive with the pictures as well. Now, I mean, I've seen them where they put pictures up, and I've, and they put—you can tell there's like one that comes out on the same day that's a really lovely picture of, of whoever it might be, and then there'll be like yeah. a few and you, a few magazines that have printed some from the same day, and you, and they're just they're just really bad angles, and you sort of think like, why would you do that? You know?
1: Well, I think they're unforgiving, and I think now because we've got these filters that I haven't managed to to you know i'm so technically challenged as you know from even getting me on this podcast i'm not very technically <laughs> that but you know people can alter how they look on every photograph so then when they're in the press and they're real it's yeah. it's just very different and they and they deliberately try to get the photo of you on the first day of your holiday when you're white and you know you're kind of like the swimsuit's a mistake and you can you know what i mean it's just like everything and i think yeah it's a very I became much more aware of it when I had my own children, right? Because I really hate the fact that their lives, they've grown up in that era of looking at perfection on Instagram, right? And I'm saying to my daughter, it isn't, you know, when she's like, oh my God, you know, so-and-so, you know, this model, she gets up, she squeezes a fresh lemon into water and she only eats, you know, ediname beans on a Wednesday. I'm like, it's not real life. Like, it's not, and I'm very, I'm very passionate about that, that that it to be real
0: life. I mean, I get I get that from a nutrition point of view. Even I've put pictures up um where I'll be out with friends and I'll be having a glass of wine or you know something like that. And I don't I don't drink much. I don't drink much at all. That's just choice. I don't really particularly like it, so I'm not really bothered. But the yeah. but I do sometimes. I'll have a glass of wine with friends, and I've put a picture up of myself with it. And I will always guaranteed always get comments like, "I can't believe you drink. Like you're a nutritionist. Like what you do." And it's like, mm-hmm. but it's like, well, but that's perfection you're sort of saying to somebody you've got yeah. to be you know you've got you've never had a drink never eat all these things you know and it's like and it's not real yeah. it's not real life and actually I think well, it's
1: not real and I think I think the thing is about you know nutrition I mean I started off doing children's cookery and I I only I didn't know better right I only cooked with like white sugar white flour we didn't have the access don't forget the access we now have to amazing nutritional things is incredible and and ever growing and I and But I think, I mean, I'm the same. People, I get really snipey comments of going, oh, I bet you're not having a pizza. My theory in life is, like, if I came to your house and you'd cooked me the most amazing chocolate cake, I'd eat it and relish every mouthful. Yeah, I'm the same. I don't want to go into a shop and have a skinny anything. I don't want the, you know, for want of a better word, really crappy ingredients that's in a skinny version of something. If I'm going to have something, I'll have it and really love it. Yeah. Full fact. Buttercream, eggs, you yeah. name it, and, and and enjoy it because life's too short. You can't live. And with no guilt. You just can't. It is not possible to live like that. You can live, you know, the 80 20 rule, you can live 50 yeah. fit, whatever it is, but you cannot be hundred percent perfect. It would be it would also be so boring.
0: Yeah, it would. That's it. And and part of it, I think a big part of food as well is is the social side of it and the community yeah. side of it. And if you try to be perfect, then you lose that as well well
1: you know you annoy people too it's like it's it's so funny because for me being so into nutrition it's like when when I go out to dinner with my husband I had and even quite close friends they'll go Graham you know you're with us tonight you can have a dessert you can have a but like I'm this sort of like torture master who's got him at home kind of going you will never eat sugar again like never I'm like I said I try because you know he has high cholesterol he has you know, things that he needs to like not eat sugar for. And I'm like, but if he goes out, absolutely he can enjoy himself. But people treat me like I'm sort you know, sometimes I have people go, Do you ever let him have a piece of cake? I'm like, oh my God, he doesn't live in a cage.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's so true though, isn't it? It's funny how we have this perception that everything should be perfect all the time. And it, yeah. it really has it really has changed, I think, that a lot. So what made you take the leap and move to America because that was how long how long have you been in America has that well
1: I sort of slid out of the country without making a big deal of it there wasn't a big um thing. basically we've always come to America my husband's work had half been in America and a few times in our life there'd been a moment when he could have moved and we didn't because we had family, my kids were in school. So we just always decided until they were 18 and university age, we wouldn't leave England. And then when they got to 18, my daughter went to university in New York. She went to art school in New York and then swiftly followed two years later by my son who went on the West Coast to university. And, you know, I felt very far away from them if I, you know, England seemed a very long way away from everything. And, and it was sort of like our part two, if you like. And my husband got work and we were like, well, maybe now's the moment we do it. So we sort of started by renting here and then we made the big leap six years ago now. I think even my family didn't really, they get say, well, when you come home, I was like, I actually have moved, but don't worry. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it was a it, it was a big move, but we deliberately sort of didn't make it a huge deal. We just sort of did it bit it's by bit i now don't own a- yeah i don't i don't own a home in england now so when i come to england i am a tourist like i am staying in my own ho- you know I'm not i don't have a home to come home to there
0: yeah yeah i i read um i read in an article actually that you you did an interview for a magazine and you um you said that your you said something along the lines of like your home like is sort of everything to you and and that your kitchen is always the favorite room in your house. It is. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, I think it's the hub of anybody's house. I think everybody's kitchen is sort of where it doesn't matter what you try and do. Everybody always ends up in the kitchen, but because I love to cook, it really is the hub of my house because I like to cook and chat to everybody at the same time. So I've always lived in like an open plan space like that. And I think when we moved to America, you know i sort of loved that even more and 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 i had you know don't forget like i you know not that long after we moved here it was lockdown and stuff like that and so it was a kind of it was an interesting time to move and yes. i there's and and now you know when i come back to england i almost feel like i have this I see it through different eyes. I, I was there last week. I went into M&S. If anybody saw me in M&S, they might've thought, what is Emma taking? Because I'm kind of going around going, oh my God, the watercress. I've forgotten about like the pack water. And oh my God, they've done like a plant-based rate. I was <laughs> like a kid in a candy shop and I see it through different eyes. But I really, I think where your kids are is where your home is. Yeah, And, I get and that. my kids are my world. And you know, I, I, they're without doubt, my the greatest job I've ever done. They're my greatest achievement and and if i'm and I'm really the happiest if I'm somewhere in the vicinity, you know, of them
0: both. So has that food and cooking? is that something that came later on in life, or has that always been a part of has that always been a part of life? Is it part? was it part of the family growing up? or
1: yeah, it was part of the family growing up because my mother was an amazing cook, and she, was very ahead of her time, actually. When I was growing up, she was very into health food. She used to grow alfalfa sprouts on blotting paper on our um, on like our windowsill oh, wow! And she did a children's cookbook called Fun Food Factory that talked about broccoli having vitamin C. Like she was quite ahead of her time. We had lentil burgers instead of hamburgers. But I remember, you know, I mean, this is so awful, but like she'd make her own wholemeal bread and I would go, School and swap it with my friend Gillian, who had White Mother's Pride Bread sandwiches. And I'd be like, I have those. so I didn't really, I had I didn't have the knowledge, but she really she was pretty ahead of her time. And, and a lot of our weekends, our family weekends were spent with her cooking an amazing lunch and friends coming around. So she sort of helped make it part of my life, I guess. And then I sort of fell into TV by doing cookery with Philip on Going Live. And sort of learnt on the go, really, because that was always a disaster, you know, a humorous, disastrous Things went disastrously wrong, and I sort of got into it. And as I say, I didn't necessarily cook with health food ingredients then because that wasn't so prevalent. But I'd always sort of cooked my kids' birthday parties and done cupcakes, and I'd always done that. And then I think it became more of a passion when I turned 50. Turning 50 for me was massive, and it was massive as well on the food front. I just suddenly thought about everything in a different way. I suddenly saw food as like fuel and medicine and, you know, because you're pretty invincible in your youth, you know, and, you know, when you, and when I was kind of in my twenties, you'd sort of go, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm going to a party on Friday and I'll sort of diet for a day and you'd lose like half a stone in a day and you'd feel (laughs) kind of great and you could eat rubbish and it didn't affect you and you didn't feel lethargic and stuff like that. And so I think when I got to 50, I just suddenly saw it in a different, light cooking took on a whole new
0: thing yeah and you've because you've done I think I think I'm right in saying you've started doing a like a short course in nutrition now
1: I just finished it I just finished a three-month course on on lifestyle and nutrition and which I loved like an online course with Harvard University which is I keep saying is the closest I'm ever going to get to Harvard University (laughs) um and it was just really fascinating I just wanted to you know it's not that I'm necessarily going to do anything with it I just wanted to I love the education of it like I love meeting people like you I love meeting people that talk to me on Instagram I learn so much about it and I realized that a lot of my friends kind of come to me not because I'm, I'm because I'm not remotely a doctor I'm not medical I'm not anything you know and doing a short-term course does not mean I'm qualifying to do anything but I realized that I've gained a lot of knowledge and that I have sort of I don't know, I guess, you know, through COVID and things, I've kind of learned bits and pieces along the way. So like, if I have a friend that has COVID, I'm like, oh my God, you know, start grating that turmeric and ginger and put, you know, get some raw honey and do this. So I'm sort of that level of, you know, help to people. And I'm always making soup on my Instagram, which I get ribbed about, but (laughs) I'm a big believer in, you know, soup for the soul. So I think it's just, it's become a real passion of mine. And I don't really know what to do with it other than it's a real passion of mine. and. But because I, you know, I now live in America, I have, it would be hard to restart a career because I'm just not known here. So it's so different on that level. Do you know what I mean? It's a very different world here and I have access to different things here. I sort of, when I post a recipe, I sort of dread doing it in a way because people go, I can't buy that here. Or you've said, you know, arugula, not rocket, or, you know, I get, you know, it's quite hard, to, they go, can I buy that in Waitrose? I'm like, oh my god, I don't know, I haven't, I haven't been to Waitrose, like, I don't, yeah, I'm guessing you
0: can. I get that a lot, because I work with the Institute of Functional Medicine, who are American, so, yeah. um, you know, a lot of the time, so I have to, I have to switch my language up as well, and it's like, I'll be saying things, like, I work with people in America, as well as, as patients, and I'll be saying things like rocket and they're all like what's rocket and I have to remember I have to remember to like switch my language over and you know. I know (laughs) because
1: it matters like they're (laughs) like I don't know what that is I've never heard of that and I'm like oh my god okay I have to so so yeah so I mean just you go back to what you were saying yes the kitchen is very much the hub of my home and And I love being, yeah, and I love being in America. I do, I really do love being, and I obviously miss family. And as I say, when I go back to England now, it's, it's like, I see it with fresh eyes. And in fact, this last trip, I hadn't been back for a long time because of my fear of flying. So it was an even bigger deal for me to go back. So I really hadn't been back for a long time. So I was like, a lot had changed, like so much stock at M&S had changed. Um, it's probably old news to everybody else, but I was like, <laughs> new to you. wow, you know, and deliciously Ella had done a different granola. I was like, everything, everything to me was like <laughs> a kind of new thing. And my husband was like, honestly, it's not like I go there and do shopping. I'm in all the food shops.
0: I wanted to ask you about um, about your fear of flying, actually, because that's something yeah. I've, I've followed because it's partially because it's something that's affected me. So so for me, for me, it was um, health. I, I, so I was I flew all the time. So we lived partially between the UK and we lived a lot of the time in Mallorca. So I flew all the time. We had a home there. We split our time. So flying backwards and forwards for me was normal from being a young child right the way through. So I flew all the time then I started with my health problems and I was not well on a couple of flights. um, And I I think, I think really, not really necessarily quite scared of flying, but attached it to the flying um, and became nervous of flying in case, like what if I'm not well and I'm on the plane and you know, that sort of thing. So I sort of, I've had this sort of fear of flying. I've, I've sort of had that. And I also have it a lot with patients if they've same thing, if they've not been well, or actually surprisingly, a lot of people who, you wouldn't expect to have it who do have those fast-paced lifestyles they have to fly with work you know all oh, this yeah. sort of thing and you look at them and they're flying a lot actually and you think oh they they won't be scared of flying and actually it's a real it is a real nervous thing it's real anxiety inducing
1: yeah it's a massive thing and the more i've you know learned about it because i'm a bit of a geek on these things i like to be educated on these things so many people have it like so many people yeah. have it and as you say a lot of people that lead a really fast paced life that you see on and off planes all the time, they're really struggling. And I think mine came, mine definitely came, I flew all the time as well, right? I mean, I flew my whole life. I'd flown everywhere, I flew with my kids, I flew everything. And and then it sort of happened at 50. I think menopause, hormones played a part in it because I definitely have a higher anxiety than I ever had before, Um, I think the menopause, and again, everybody's spoken about that, but it does, it gives you a a massive Sort of irrational anxiety about things generally.
0: Yeah, you hear you hear that a lot, don't you? With women, it's either it's either sort of post-pregnancy. A lot of a lot of people can have yep. it. Um, can develop fear of flying or menopause, and I think again probably to do with hormones. And, and... and a
1: lot of women, you know, chat to me. I'm really lucky on Instagram. A lot of them. The minute I spoke about it, I've spoken to so many women on Instagram about it, and I think for me it was that. And then I moved here, and I realised that my family's in England. I've got my daughter on this coast, my son on the other coast. So I was always, I describe it as being with one, missing the other. So I was always sort of doing this kind of hopping and and I just got progressively more anxious, and particularly of turbulence. For me, it's turbulence, and that is a total control thing, right? So anxiety in an out of control situation, it's like, oh, it's a bumpy car. I'm like, it's a bumpy car, I'd get out, I'd and use yeah. a
0: different way. <laughs> like, you know, analogies just didn't work for no. me. For me, it's the not being able to get out, actually. It's that not was being able to get out. Like, yeah. I'm like,
1: you know, but it's, like, but it's bumpy and it's this and it's safe. And I, I get it, but I it gives me massive anxiety. And actually, this last trip, you know, I've worked for sort of six months on on it. And it was still a real challenge. I'm not going to lie. Both flights were bumpy and it was a real challenge. And um, And I don't know how, I don't know if it'll always be a challenge. You know, there's a part of me, I have this... The vision of myself I always have this vision that I'm going to be in like you know cream plazzo pants and a turtleneck sweater and a little bit kind of Katie Holmes meets Sharon Stone and I'm going to kind of drift onto a plane with just a shoulder bag you know with a book and a carrot and an apple and I'm just going to like drift on put my head pods on <laughs> and, and the reality is I'm like a hot mess Do you know what I mean? <laughs> literally I have a bag it is so heavy it virtually slips a disc it's got like you know lavender oil gua tools meditation books <laughs> self-help you know a lucky a lucky this a st- I mean it, it's a nightmare really on, on and I have to really work hard at it and I think that it's one of those things it's sort of it's very 50-50. I think you either, I mean, my husband literally, I mean, as we speak today, he's on a plane. He woke up this morning and I sort of look at him in such admiration. He got up, his day's completely the same, but he's just going to the airport and he's flying off to Florida for today. And he's like, see you Friday. I'm like, I would be, it's the buildup. It's the yeah. pre-anticipation. Same with me. I, and it's the looking up at the sky and going, oh God, you know, that looks a bit cloudy. I wonder if that's going to be cloudy. I too don't like to be Ill on a plane, right? Mm-hmm. So I have, you should sit next to me if you're worried about being ill. I, Short of open heart surgery, I could pretty much take care of anything that you might have, right? I literally get on board <laughs>
0: with a medical kit. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm so- going to fly with you. That sounds great. <laughs>
1: epic proportion right my, my daughter suffers from migraine so I've always got her migraine medicine with me even on the flight she's not on and Graham's like my husband's like why have you even got it on a flight she isn't even on I'm like because you you know you never if know. I had to kind of <laughs> I don't know it's like a, and it's almost like I have to have I have to be prepped in order to feel it gives me a sort of weird sense of, well, not confident enough to be bright and breezy, but, but you know, and you wouldn't sit next to me on a plane. I'm not freaking out, which I yeah. think is also a the key with people. And it's actually this this pilot man that I've been speaking to. He said, you know, if you actually got on a plane, which obviously none of us are going to do, and you went, okay, hands up, who's nervous? He said, you'd actually be staggered that probably a good 60% would put their hand up. But we're not all crying and screaming and wailing and praying. Exactly. There's people that I'm like you, I don't drink. I just don't like the taste of alcohol, So I don't drink. But there are people that get on and it can be nine in the morning and they have a whiskey, right? That's their coping mechanism. Yeah. I don't judge anybody anymore. Cause I'm, you know, I'm like, whatever, you know what, whatever it takes. You know, I sat next to somebody the other day that slept the entire way. I mean, he was literally flat and stationary to the point where I thought he was like, potentially dead and as he got off the plane he said to the stewardess thank you so much for being so kind I'm such a nervous fire and I thought oh so that's what you do that like your coping mechanism is you knock yourself out and I think we all cope with it in different ways and you know I'm I think I'm just one of many that it's just yeah. and and it's a shame because obviously I've got family in England and I would love to go to my son more in LA and stuff like that and it does hold one back right and I look at on Instagram and I see people who are like, you know, oh my God, they're on safari. And then I think, oh, but they had to get on a propeller plane. And the, you know, and I'm like, is that me? You know, am I doing that?
0: We once, we missed our flight back, which was my dad's fault. I am mean, it was his fault. He, lo- he left his passport, he lost his passport. So it was, we're blaming him, but we missed our flight. Yeah. And um, we had to get on another one and we couldn't get into, um, we couldn't fly straight up north. We had to fly to London. And then we had to get a plane from London to Manchester. And I remember walking through the airport. So I, this was before I was anxious of flying. So I was obviously, there was always something there that I was, I never loved it. I would never have said I was a lover of flying, but I wasn't anxious about it. I just didn't really love it. And I I remember walking through the airport and we were walking down, you're know, ready to get sort of to go down and walk onto the, onto the plane. And I saw this prop plane. And I, I remember saying to my my dad's flown all over the world with business, flies everywhere, doesn't care, gets, walks on a plane and falls asleep without not medicated, just literally falls asleep, thinks, great, I've got like, yeah. you know, 12 hours to have a nap and he's quite happy. And I can't sleep on planes at all. But I, um, I remember walking down, seeing this problem, and I said to dad, we're not, we're not getting on that are we and and it was it was huge it wasn't even like you know a little tiny prop plane this was a yeah. you know a sort of flying up and down you know the UK it was quite a big propeller plane yeah and I was like we're not getting on that are we and my dad's like no no we're not getting on that one don't be silly they wouldn't fly us on that it's fine fine keep walking keep walking <laughs> and like ushered me on the plane and then I'm like I see these propellers and I'm just like I I just panicked and I was just like it's not got an engine my dad was like it has that's that is the engine I was like that's not an engine that is not a proper engine no
1: no no I mean trust me I'm exactly the same and I've had (laughs) the the only thing I've managed to keep is my humor because I was on one flight with my son Sam and he was sort of diagonal to me and he got his headphones on he was watching his ipad and we had one of those landings where they go down and they go up again. Oh, yeah. And I was freaking out because the, the, the stewardess was having to be seated and I'm freaking out. And I've got the sit bag. But I'm, she's, She said to me, breathe into it because I was really hyperventilating. <laughs> and when we landed for the second time, my son takes off his headphones. He looks around and he goes, Mom, what is the problem with you? Because so I'm going <laughs> like this into a bag. And he went, what's happened to you? I said, we landed, Sam. We took off again. He went, did we? I went, how did you <laughs> miss that? And I was laughing because I thought that I literally had my own mini world of it. He was I was watching an episode of like, I'm like, I literally, I'm I'm dripping in sweat. And my husband's the same. This last flight back from London, it was bumpy. He was asleep. Stewardess, adorable. You know, they're always lovely to you. And she came over and she said, oh, you know, I'm so sorry for you. Because she said, it's always worse when you're flying on your own. And I said, oh, I'm not on my own. I said, that's my husband. And she laughed. Oh, right. been The entire time he got off, he was like, well, great flight. I was like, I literally rode those waves. So I think, you know, I'm getting, I'm doing it, which is the bigger thing. I think what didn't help, and I also, having researched it, think this is what happened to other people. If you were nervous as a flyer, COVID took it out of your equation. So in COVID, yes. not doing it for so long, yeah. I, and and I am I'm, I'm ashamed to say that was a relief for me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I was like, oh, we can't fly.
0: Mm.
1: Oh dear. Like then it. And but what it did was break the habit of flying. Yeah. So what I'm trying to do now is do it more because you know it, it, the minute you stop doing something that makes you anxious, it is so much so harder to doing
0: yeah. it and you because you've been you've been using a company where you
1: speak to a pilot so this 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 company actually somebody in england told me about it. it's called dial a pilot and and he's this guy called kyle is the founder he's a pilot and you can book a phone call and you can literally kind of ask him whatever questions you want And, and there's him and lots of pilots you know because some people it's the change of engine noise after takeoff some people it's you know i'm claustrophobic um it's germs it's a billion things and it's a really it's a clever service so I've been using him but I've been doing all kinds of different therapies and meditation I mean I've literally you name it I mean if somebody told me to hang upside down for 15 minutes I pre-flight I'd do it in the middle of an airport I have no shame I would literally do anything I've got you know calm tea bags calm you know cream I, I mean I would do all of it and I'm just hoping that eventually you know, it becomes more of a practice. Yeah,
0: I think that, I think you're right about. I hadn't thought of it in that way, but I think you're right with COVID. It is. It's because the more you do something, the less you know. The more it becomes routine. and less yeah. anxious you become about it, and actually, that not being able to do it probably has been a big thing. And, and also,
1: you know, I don't have to do it for work anymore. I used to have to do it for work, and if you're doing it for work, it's a different thing. Yeah. That being said, I was in LA. Uh, with my son and it was boiling hot. And I thought, oh, maybe I am living the American dream momentarily. And I got a phone call from my daughter crying and she'd gone to hospital. And I very calmly kind of turned to my husband. And I I mean, this is the honest truth. I had a swimsuit on with sun cream. I pulled on sweatpants. I very calmly went in and said, "I I need to get on a plane now, like right now. We drove to the airport. I got on a plane with a handbag with nothing in it other than my wallet and my keys in a swimsuit with sun cream a sweatsuit on I don't remember a single bump if my child if my children or Graham needed me I could literally fly on a one propeller plane and swim half the journey so there's definitely it's interesting something, isn't it isn't it interesting because yeah. I remember when I landed I thought I didn't watch the tv I did not I was just like get me there
0: yeah you know, and, and maybe the worry of that took away from the worry of the flying. Took away, yeah.
1: Because right. at the moment, you know, I, I, yeah. And and so I, I hang on to that. So I know I can do it. Mm. I mean, I obviously don't want to always do it in an emergency, but I know that I can do it. Um, and it was, you know, ironic. That's the story of being a mum, really. But by the time I got, got back to New York, she'd gone home. The emergency was over and she'd gone to bed. And I was there. <laughs> in New York in freezing weather in a swimsuit and a tracksuit thinking about seven hours ago. I was was just sort of the irony of it all was kind of funny, but I mean, I wouldn't have not done it for the world. But I think it's just. Yeah, I think anxiety was something I really had to I had to face more. And I I got I got a little, you know, the menopause conversation got so huge in England that I had to kind of stop doing interviews. It sort of defined me. Do you know what I mean? It would just be like, well, Emma's got the menopause. And I, I thought, oh, my God. It's. I'm not unique in this, and it's. You know, and I think women have so many variations of it. I think it's a conversation, luckily, that's now being had. Yeah, and people are doing such amazing work with women on it. And I'm a huge admirer of people like in England, of Louise Newson and Lizzle. I think is phenomenal. And there's so many people. Davina, all these people are doing such great conversations. I felt like I. I didn't really need to be, you know, I didn't need to keep throwing myself in that kind of going, and I'm the kind of (laughs) gibbering wreck on a plane type of thing. But I think for me, it was definitely all tied in with that. And I think just when you turn 50 and, you know, for me, I don't work in TV anymore. It's like an identity thing. It's like, well, you know, who am I? My kids are growing up. Like it's it's a classic cliche. You just, all those things, you looked at your parents and thought, I'm never going to be that cliche. The empty nester. I'm all of those things. I mean, when we got the dog, I said to my children, I know why you're getting it. It's to fill a hole in my life. And you know that if I get a dog, it's going to become my third child. Like, don't do this to me. And they were like, no, mom, honestly, you won't be and we'll take care of it. You can. I mean, I'm literally surgically attached to this dog.
0: Yeah, I get that. I'm the same with mine. I
1: mean, (laughs) I'm just like, no, he's my third child. You know, I treat him like a child. I can barely be without him. I'm codependent.
0: Yeah. Mine's my first child. He's my baby, and I yeah, yeah, and exactly the same. Can't he's with me like all the time. He's uh... no, and they are a real
1: comfort. I mean, they really are a therapy dog. I mean, they they are, yeah. I always thought they were, but now I'm like, no, no, you really are a therapy dog.
0: <laughs> I I saw on because I watched your um, you do these rant and rave. Uh, lives Instagram lives with your sister which I love they're brilliant and uh, and if people haven't been on your Instagram and check these out (laughs) they really need to because they're they're, you have some brilliant conversations but I saw on one of them you talked with your sister who I know is not she hasn't been very well and yeah
1: she's had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma so she got that in Covid um but luckily currently cancer free so you know which is what we like to hear
0: Like I hear I, I heard you having a conversation with her, um, about Doctor Google, which again is this kind of almost anxiety thing around health. But she, I and I I think it, I think she said like she I think maybe she would said to her doctor, "I'm not going to like Doctor Google anything." Yes, I'm not it was look. actually
1: we started rant and rave because obviously she got diagnosed in COVID and. We did it in COVID and we and, and it was sort of incredible for women like her going through, I mean, imagine going through chemo kind of, you know, there were so many awful things in COVID, but one of you know the awful things for people having cancer treatment, you had to be completely solo. She had the news given to her, solo. Yeah. From a man who sat the other end of a room in a mask and said, I would normally give you a hug, but I can't. You know, it was kind of horrific. And the rant and rave became a sort of point at which we could all talk and, you know, women could sort of say to her, well, I've got, you know, can't find a good wig or you know whatever it was but where my sister was amazing i think was she basically when she was diagnosed she rang me first of all and she said i don't want to keep talking like i don't want you to google it i don't want to hear about what green juice to, to you know like don't put your green juice on me <laughs> um that was she didn't say it quite like that but you can imagine she was just like i don't want i want to she loved her oncologist and i want to do everything he wants and i don't want to google i don't want to deep dive I don't want to hear, which I fully respected that thing of somebody going, oh my God, well, my friend, you know, so-and-so has had your cancer and that's cause everybody's cancer story is very unique. She said, I just want to get through it. And I really admired her cause she really didn't. And her doctor said he, he really genuinely thought it helped her deal with it yeah. because Google is Dr. Google. Cause let's forget, If not forget it isn't a doctor it's Google right and you can go down such a deep hole and you've got everything I mean everything because you I'm always saying to my mum actually is 89 she'll Google like she'll be given a tablet she'll Google it I said don't because they only put the bad bits on they're not going to put a good bit
0: yeah I always say that to clients because I with when I with patients I've got two, two problems I find with Dr Google one of them is If they've been diagnosed with, you know, I work with people with sort of autoimmune conditions, so quite serious um, sort of chronic illnesses, um, and as well as things like sort of the chronic fatigue and those sorts of things. And they Google and I always say to them, look, the problem when you've Googled a condition like that, and it's the same with the cancers, like you're saying, is the people that are putting their stories up online are the people who are still not well. Who are not able yep. to get out, who are on the computer because they can't get out, which is is fair enough. But they're the ones, the ones who actually have recovered and are doing well, and they're not typing up on on the, in, in, no. the internet because they're out living their life and and having fun and they've they're getting on with their lives. So you don't hear the positive stories. You don't. You hear there's nothing, the the I've, negative. I've always
1: saying to my mother, you do not hear the good news.
0: Mm. You're not going to Google something
1: and hear the good news. Yeah. And and it's really tempting, you know, I get it. And it was really interesting because my sister only Googled post her treatment. And right. she said to me, "God, thank God I didn't. Because she said once I started, because she's a journalist, she was like, it was a rabbit hole of epic proportion. And yeah. so I I really did it her way. We, you know, Rant and Rave sort of came off the fact that I basically, we'd, we'd Zoom like this and we would just have Zoom on while I cooked. We like kept each other company. And then we started doing it more. We haven't done it for a bit because our lives have got a bit busier and time difference Since she's got a job and I've been busy and stuff. But, you know, I'm sure we'll go back to it at some point. And I think that, you know, it's hard. And it was even hard, you know, as her sister, I was so desperate to kind of go, what you need to do is this, that, and the other. And you realize it's a really fine line. It's a very difficult, it's a very difficult thing because everybody has to do it their way and you have to respect that with people. You know, and I'm okay. sure you have that with clients. It's like you can't push your, you know, I I couldn't push my life on her. Like she had to do it her way, and you know, and she did, and she, you know, I've got nothing but admiration for the way she dealt with it because I think you know it was a very very scary time. Yeah, um,
0: people often say to me, like, um, like you with your like you're saying with that with pushing things onto people, people often all the time are asking me like you know what's your diet what do you eat you know and things like this and yeah or, or what what do you recommend people eat that's usually that's usually the one with with being a practitioner and I I always say like, I I can't afford to have a sort of a one set view of that like that's the diet for everybody. Yeah. Because it isn't that simple. You know I've got people coming to me with different conditions and different different things are going to work for different people. And some people might want to know want to be plant-based some people might want to eat meat and you know people always ask me and yes okay there's things if you're going to eat meat there's recommendations I would you know give about sourcing your meat you know and things like that but yeah um you know quality over sort of quantity and all of that sort of thing but I can't afford to be sort of like you everybody has to be 100% plant-based because a lot of people don't want to do that and you've got to you have to you, you actually do have to put your sort of views almost a little bit aside and and um yeah and help them live the life they want to live in the in the best possible way well I loved the word that came up which was flexitarian because I think
1: you know to be honest it's like it's like all those things it would be impossible to lead a life where like I don't eat meat right and I haven't eaten meat for years I do eat fish right so I'm plant-based but I eat fish I don't even know what that word's meant to be particularly but it's but I don't eat shellfish. So I'm like a sort of picky, whatever, whatever. But again, as I say, if I came to your house and you'd made me the most amazing beef stew, I would eat it. So I I and I love bone broth. So it's kind of like, as you say, it's so difficult because there are so many books that are so restricted to one thing. It's like a it's like a way of life. And I mm-hmm. and I see it, and I particularly see it through my children, you know, because they'll be like, oh no, you know, the thing you do now is it's only protein and you only ever eat protein in this and you're like oh no it's quite it just it just isn't good for us I don't think to eat in these restricted
0: yeah that's the other thing I get from from Dr Google with people is particularly with the autoimmune stuff that people come to me and they've googled you know their autoimmune illness or they've googled autoimmune diets and the the diet for that usually that comes up is, is some kind of autoimmune paleo diet and it's super restrictive it's very very restrictive yeah but it was designed it, its intention was use that as a short-term thing to help people. And then we build back in all the other yes. That's the bit they never get from, no. you know, when you doctor Google, you get the take this out, take that out, take, you know, remove everything. And people often come to me and they're on such restrictive diets. And actually I'm like, no, we're going to, we're going to have loads of food back in and they start feeling yeah. actually better than, and sometimes they feel better initially when they first start taking foods out, they feel better, but then actually they start to feel worse as time goes on because then they're not feeding their body.
1: I think life then becomes a chore, right? Cause you can't actually go out to eat. You can't yeah. go to a friend's house. It becomes yeah. too restrictive. And I think that, you know, I try to, you know I try to eat, uh, you know, as healthily as I can. I do believe food is medicine, right? I do yeah. think what you put in is what you get out. There's no question in my mind that, you know, we do that. I think, you know, COVID should have taught us all that we you know, we need to spend, and and it's a bigger picture, right? COVID made us all sit down as a family. America is fast food, right? America is like, you know, particularly living in New York part of the time is like fast food central. Oh, you're coming for lunch. Somebody can have a pizza. Somebody, I mean, it's fast food. And I think COVID made everybody sit down at one table, eat food, be more grateful for the food, be more aware of where it was sourced and make it go further. One was less frivolous with food because we were like, oh, actually, we need to make this work better. And I think that people associate eating healthily with very expensive and it doesn't have to be. I'm like, honestly, you know, a really good pasta with tomato sauce is probably the most inexpensive meal you could make or overnight oats is the cheapest breakfast you could ever wish to to make. Like people kind of get a week, you know, it's okay for you because you're just eating like this unbelievably expensive diet. I'm like, it it doesn't have to be. Yeah. I think it is if you eat meat and you want to buy organic and grass fed and all. I, I get that, but I don't eat eat that meat. But, but I think it's a it's a real topic for conversation. And I think you know, as I've got older, I've just realised that you know, little tweaks. Like, as I say, my husband had really high cholesterol, and he had this sort of weird heartbeat for anyway he he had an issue that we needed to take even more refined sugar out of his diet and i was like i need to be educated because i didn't think we were having refined sugar Mm -hmm. right but i had substituted things i was using like a lot of coconut oil which i didn't realize isn't good for the arteries right so then i learned that actually there's me going oh i'm using coconut oil why did i use coconut oil because it was all over instagram Everybody was like, oh, coconut oil, you know, you could brush your teeth with it. You rinsed your mouth with it. It was good for your hair, your nails, your skin. It wasn't good for my husband with high cholesterol. Yeah. Right. So you kind of go, everybody's got something they've got to find that's, that works for them. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, so I just, I feel like it's an ever, ever evolving thing that I just love to, to, to live and learn by really, um,
0: yeah and that's it I always say it's it's personalized nutrition that really that really is the medicine that's what gets people better is actually finding out what works for each individual person and I I can I mean I can have people in clinic in front of me with with the same condition the same diagnosis and I could they could all be on a completely different plan from me based on what else is going on in the body because it's just not that simple
1: I also think and maybe you you probably find this as a nutritionist I mean I'm I've got very few friends that cook or not only just cook, but that enjoy it. So for me, for anxiety, (laughs) I absolutely love the escapism of going to a food shop or, you know, if it's the summer, like going to a food market outside and picking what's in season or whatever and the colors and everything like that. And for me, my relaxation is to, is why I make a lot of soup, the chopping, the preparing, like that's my kind of switch off of my mind. I actually, physically enjoy it. Whereas I think to some people it's a massive stress. And I think it's, it, you know, it worries them. You kind of go, well, you could eat healthy. You could kind of, you know, if a friend comes to me and goes, yeah, but I mean, like, how would I find the time? I said, it's so easy. You could make four overnight oats in one go. Yeah. And then breakfast, you don't have to stress about breakfast. It's in a pot. Mm -hmm. Like it's literally buy four little jam jars off Amazon, make it overnight. Here's the recipe. And then it's gone, but I think we, we're we're stressed by it. A lot of people are very stressed by it.
0: Yeah, and I, I think for me, so I was a bit like you. So going back for me, the relaxation thing was always baking rather than cooking, which is maybe not yeah. not quite so good. Oh well, I did a lot
1: of banana bread. <laughs> Don't get yeah. me wrong, COVID was one big banana bread. Yeah, I do.
0: I love for me baking. I I love baking. Um, yeah, but I have I have over time I've switched that to be to include cooking so cooking now for me is as relaxing as the as the baking has always been for me I've always loved the baking but yeah but for me now cooking is as relaxing as the as the baking and I I enjoy it but yeah. you know I've, I'm like you I've learned a lot I know what I'm doing with it I know how to do things quicker I know simple things to make and and actually the the, the recipes and things that I give out to clients it's the simple ones that are the ones that that do well people don't want a ton of ingredients but it's getting enough foods in there and enough nutrients in there in the simplest possible way I think is what yeah benefits people most it's just because you're right there's not have you noticed a difference between I know you've been obviously been in the states for quite a while now but did you notice a difference in this between America and the UK in terms of cooking people wanting to cook and enjoying cooking all the I think yes it's
1: very It's very different. Like the big Sunday lunches and things here, that doesn't really exist. You know, they do big occasions like Thanksgiving where it's actually kind of grotesque food. Do you know what I mean? It's like, they go all out and they're like, we're starving all day and we're gonna eat at four. And then it's like this bizarre mix of everything. (laughs) You're like, whoa, like, you know, sweet potatoes with marshmallows. Who even thought of that? It's like disgusting. Like it's like over the top amounts of food um On big occasions, but they don't do like the Sunday roast, like like England has that kind of tradition. I think uh, when I come back to England, I'm always blown away by the quality of the food, and I actually think England is weirdly, whereas so many health things seem to come out of America. Yeah, I think England's resources for health food shops and food is phenomenal. I mean, phenomenal. I mean, oh my god, if I had a shop like. Waitrose, planet organic, um, MS, anything like that here, I would be blown away. It's much harder to find it, it it's very fast food here. So yeah. it takes a it takes more energy here to do it. And when I first gave a dinner here, people came over and I'd done a very simple dinner. I think I'd done these like rice bowls with my kind of crispy salmon on top and vegetables and somebody said this is amazing like where did you get it and i said no i cooked it and they were like nobody like where did you get get it from i was like no i made it like i they thought i'd like assembled a bowl and it really wasn't one of my finest meals but people were pretty blown away by it like they're a bit like wow because you don't need to do that here you can eat very cheaply in america but it's yeah. just not good yeah. but you can eat cheaply that's the thing
0: yeah it and it's not unfortunately not a, not a good thing we call it the the sad diet so the standard american diet which That's is what
1: awesome. i learned about in my nutrition course. yeah <laughs> because do you know what they said about americans they think ketchup is one of your five a day <laughs>
0: vegetables yeah Isn't I, I yeah i mean i've had people come to me who have said like um, even with like you know a packet of crisps if it's got like you know if it's got like a vegetable sort of flavor crisps <laughs> like that that is a vegetable and i'm like no, that's not that's not eating your vegetables. It's, it's amazing, it's quite, it, sometimes it's- It's quite shocking. The statistics yeah. I learned in
1: my course actually were about the standard American diet. And that was one of them. It was like, you know, I can't remember the exact percentage so I won't say it, but it was like, you know, Americans think that ketchup is a vegetable. I was like, wow, okay. Mm. But, but again, you know, it goes down to education. They're not taught it in school. You know, my daughter's cookery lesson in school was a cheese, they, she made a cheese sandwich. And I remember I went in and I went, I thought they were doing cookery and they were like, well, health and safety, they can't handle a knife. They, can, you know, There's all these restrictions now. So oh. you don't learn cooking as a skill anymore. Like it's not really, unless somebody's handed it down to you or you've had a grandmother that's kind of taught you how to bake or.
0: I think that's how it came for me. I think it was my, my yeah. gran, my gran was a good baker and a good cook. My mom is. On, on my yeah. dad's side of the family my 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 nana and granddad they grew their own vegetables and fruits and apologies fruits. for the sirens
1: you know then I'm in New York if you can hear a I know <laughs> <Sign laughs> you're in New
0: York um you can yeah but so but like New York both sides of both sides of my family they they grew their own foods they they cooked you know it was it was part of of my family I guess and part of growing up yeah so it's it's but I think been... I think that's
1: that's Pe- the people that I know that cook it's come from that nobody that I know kind of went oh my god at school we learned how to yeah you know bake banana bread I just don't think they do that anymore and we've time lost and that the
0: community stuff. around it haven't we yeah you know more and, and family units as well we've lost that particularly with, you know parents are busy with work and things like that we've, we've lost that sitting even just sitting down at a table and having dinner together that's that's been lost as well I and mean, it came back maybe a bit with covid Yeah, I was
1: going to say that kind of re-came back in COVID. I mean, there were bits about, I mean, COVID was horrific in so many ways, but that bit was a real, really, that was a kind of a joyous bit of COVID was being able to sit with family. If you were lucky enough to be connected with your family, obviously people weren't, but if you were lucky enough to be with as many members of your family as possible in your pod, it was a nice thing to have.
0: Yeah, yeah, because you talk about, Long, like, like longevity and eating for you know food is medicine eating for longevity and all of this and yeah and a big part of um of longevity apart outside of the food the nutrition is that having a purpose in life having a community
1: have you watched have you got it in england on netflix the blue zones have yes. you heard about the, the damn wetter yeah that that's my sort of
0: my current
1: passion is that yeah. that documentary series I highly recommend it
0: yeah it's very good I, I do a lot of work with that sort of thing of helping people to to stay on that optimal health side. so I, I was really interested to see it so I, I've, I've got the book actually as well the books if you haven't got the book as well the, the book really brilliant interesting it's yeah brilliant.
1: it's a really good and his recipe book is brilliant and it was just that thing of just the obviousness of it if you like it was yeah. like the people there was like there was one hillside village in the middle of I think it was Italy and they were like, well, people without knowing it are doing cardio every day because they're having to walk up and down a hill and people planting their own vegetables. They're actually doing like 80 squats a day at 89, because that's the way they get their vegetables from the garden and Mm. people cooking together. And it is a real reminder. I mean, I am that person that if a friend is sick, I'll make the soup and go around and, you know, and I think that there are things that, that, yes, because for longevity of life, you want to, you want to my sort of aim is to be the best I can be the best version of me I can be and the healthiest for longest I've had you know family members and friends and one friend of mine put it you know the age I'm at at 58 it's like sniper's alley that's how he described it like it is the age where you know you do need to be vigilant about your health you do need to have the checks you know you do need the yearly mammograms and whether, whether it's boring or unpleasant or five minutes of uncomfortable, whatever it is, you do need to do it because it's just that it is a vulnerable age. And I think if you can kind of get over that hump and, you know, not be perfect, but kind of eat as well as you can and do all of these things, it reflects in everything. It reflects in your skin because we cannot live in a world where we just go, oh, I'm aging. I'm just going to have Botox. Right. Like it doesn't. There isn't a quick fix. Oh, I'm, you know, my boobs are sagging. I'll have new boobs. Great. I'll do it. It's like, it doesn't, it's not the long-term answer. I'm not judgmental of anybody doing any. I think you do whatever makes you feel good, right? Yeah. As a person. But I just don't think we can only do that. We have to like put good stuff in us as well.
0: Yeah. Cause that's, that's not, that's not the the health side of it. It might make you look no. better or, you know, at a certain age, but it's not, it's not the, it's not feeding the body from the inside out. No, it's not
1: the core of it. Like you can't just do the outside. It has to be the inside as well. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That's my soapbox.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You, you also, you talk a lot about self-care as well. Um, Yeah. You know, which is, I think particularly important, particularly like we've talked about the sort of the fast pace life that we live in I, I actually had a client um he's actually based she's based in LA actually and I've just finished working with her this week and she's a singer so she she toured you know she was flying all the time very busy sort of life she wasn't scared of flying but she was busy fast paced life yeah she was you know she was burnt out we got to the root causes she actually had um mold toxicity was one of the root causes of sort of all of her symptoms got her energy back she was feeling much better um and then I saw her uh last week actually and she said you know I've I've been and she was really struggling to kind of go out and live a full, she couldn't do a full day yeah. anymore. You know, she was struggling even just doing a normal kind of day. She had to go and have like a nap in the afternoon, things like that. And she was like, well, I've been out with my friends four times. I've exercised like four or five times a week. I'm running again. Um, you know, and actually our conversation ended up being, okay, so now we've got you back there. Actually, yeah. how do we slow you down? How do we actually now say you need you need yeah. to actually put some self-care back in, in now because You've, you're now back living that really fast paced life and you're, you're going to burn out again if you don't plan in actually some of that self-care so what things would you do what are your sort of self-care things that you do that are your? so
1: I have become a massive yogi person there's an amazing lady that kind of came into my life actually pre-covid because I've always had um I've always had quite a bad back so I I've been quite restrictive so things like running and that kind of thing were not something that I could do Um, and pre-COVID I started doing her and I was like okay um I was doing it sort of maybe once or twice a week and then obviously in COVID she was doing it um over Zoom and and it's restorative yoga and she's just one of those amazing people that just kind of gets to know you and and sort of does it according to your thing and I've become such a yogi that I now do and I'm not talking standing on my head yoga it's a very different kind of stretching um bone density conscious so I do a lot of kind of work with cork blocks and and stamping and you know trying to kind of do weight bearing and uh it's changed my life because for that hour a day it just grounds me and I I re and I and it is so hard to achieve. I think what I would say is that self-care is probably the hardest thing to achieve. Um because I do lead a fast-paced life. I work with my daughter, I'm always busy, I'm always and I can always think for a million reasons why not to do self-care. And I have really, really, really tried to make myself do this hour. And it's now I miss it when I don't. So like when I went to London last week with the time difference, I said, I'm not sure I'm gonna be able to to Do it like we're racing. We, you know, got the car, it was another four and a half hour journey to go up north to see my mother in law and then come back down. And this, that, the other. The first two or three days, I was just on that kind of running high. I was like, I am good to go. Although I bought my straps to be in this, I was like, you know what? I don't think I need it. I'm kind of good. And it was really fascinating. I woke up day four and I thought, God, I'm like rigid, like my shoulders are tight everything and I kind of rang her and we managed to fit in a session and even just doing that one hour of just phone off that kind of thing so I try to do that I try to at night I try to watch I was a big person of getting into bed and watching tv till I slept I'm really making a conscious effort to try and go to bed. And when I go to bed, I go to bed in a dark room, not with the TV on. And although I've got my phone, because I think, you know, logically, anybody that's got parents in England, a child on each coast, I can't kind of go, oh, I'm going to leave it in another room. I would never sleep. But I do put on things like those binaural beats or a meditation. And I really try to, like, you know, tune out in a dark room. And... It's the, the, they're little things, but I try and do that. I try and walk. I try and do, which I learned from Lizelle. She's always talking about looking up, like go out in the fresh air, look up, bare feet on the grass. If I can do that on a nice day, I do it. I love a good stop, like a real power walk. Like if I'm stressed to kind of go out with a dog and do a massive dog walk. Um, So it's little things like that, but it, you know, it's not easy and it's not always possible. As I say, when I'm traveling, you know, and I came back, you know after a week and f- the anxiety of flying it's taken me almost a week to get my body back to, <laughs> to being you know because i realize it takes a huge amount out of me and i'm sort of horrified at myself that it does that but but it but self care is And I think self-care, people just think, oh, you're just going off and having a facial. You know, I think people think there's a little bit of a stigma attached to it. If you say you're doing self-care, people are a bit like, well, that's just because you've got nothing else to do. But I I actually genuinely think there's a type of self-care where you just have to just take yourself out of something for an hour.
0: Yeah, I think it it is something that, and I've been, I've actually been really bad with it lately. I need to, I need to get back myself back on track because none of us are perfect. People expect me to be perfect, but because I'm doing this all the time and telling people what to do. But actually, recently, so I, i yeah, I've just fallen, out. I've been very busy with work and kind of fallen out of the pattern of doing it. And I, I, the other day, I was like, I've, I've got to get back into, getting that yeah. uh, non-negotiable again and getting and it back in. Sleep,
1: actually. The sleep, mm. when we when we rounded up our course that I did on sort of lifestyle medicine, they were like, what was the biggest shock? And I said, how important sleep was. Yeah. Like I was, we learned so much about it. And it is like, it is the vital source of life. I mean, and I, you know, I really probably functioned on kind of five to six hours. And I'm really trying to make a conscious effort. Because like a lot of people, I get a second wind after 10 o'clock because it's quiet and yeah. I think oh and then I'm on the internet and then I'm you know doing stuff and and I I was really blown away actually and I for a while I I, I got one of those aura rings do you know what I mean yeah. by aura and it became like this competitive thing with my husband we'd wake up <laughs> and be like how much restorative sleep did you get and how much this <laughs> and, the other? and I actually had to take mine off because it gave me anxiety. It actually weirdly <laughs> gave me anxiety because if I could wake up feeling good, look at my aura ring and it would be like, oh, you're only 60%. And I'd be like, oh my God. You know. So for me, it was a little bit 50, 50, how much <laughs> good it was doing me. But it, it certainly made me very conscious that that's a massive bit of self-care. That's like the easiest thing to do is try and get into bed before midnight and get seven to eight hours sleep instead of five to six.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, I'm actually similar to you with that. I I get the second wind at 10 o'clock and I have to try and tame myself. Yeah. <laughs> it's terrible. And like
1: all the TV shows on here uh, or all, all the late night shows that I love are all on like late. They're all on like 1130 and I've got into a real habit of kind of getting into bed and watching like the talk shows and, and everything like that or scrolling, you know, scrolling on the dreaded Instagram and then you're, and then it's over. You know, then you kind <laughs> <Yes>. of... <laughs> I'm gonna wait till one.
0: So I am trying on that front. I do try. Just to kind of finish off, what um, what does the future look like for you? What's what's coming up? Is there any any projects you've got coming up? Anything you can tell us about? It's
1: really interesting because for the first time ever, the old TV me would be like, Oh, there's a project in the pipeline, that famous, you know, saying, which meant I have no idea. The answer <laughs> is I have no idea. I, my daughter's getting married this December. That's been my kind of massive focus. So I feel like next year is, you know, another phase beginning. I would love to, I'd love to do more in this field, whether I'm a voice for it or do some kind of podcast, whatever it is, I would love to be in that world in some shape or form. I don't know what that is yet. I don't think, I think finally, I'm ready to sort of say that TV, it's so different and so changed. I probably won't do TV anymore. I certainly won't here because, you know, I, I would be starting from scratch and I'm 58. It's a very difficult time to start a TV career, <laughs> brand new in America. Right? Yeah, she's an old starter. So. I don't know. I, I, love to, I, I would never like to not work. I love working. I'm working with my daughter at the moment. So I love doing that. And actually that keeps me super busy. But for me, I'd love to just do something else
0: on the side, but I have no idea yet what it is. Well, we're looking forward to seeing what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be very excited to see what happens because I love I love following you. I love uh, I well, love watching um, you on Instagram. Thank you. So thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Oh my god, from. it's an
1: absolute joy and a pleasure. And as you can probably tell, I love talking and I could do it for hours. So who knows? That, that might be in my future in some shape or <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, definitely. Thank you, Emma. Thanks for your time. Absolute pleasure. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Good Health Podcast. Do share the episode with anyone who you think it may benefit or who may enjoy it. And help me spread the word by rating the episode or leaving a review. If you want more, you can find other episodes in the series on your podcast app or sign up to my free newsletter. Not only will you get information on new episodes launching, but we cover lots of health topics with the Ask Nicole section where you can send in your questions, my favourite recipes, my favourite products, tips and tricks to help you on the road to good health, and much more. You can sign up free of charge at nicolegoodhealth.com forward slash newsletter. Also linked below. I hope you have a lovely week. Don't forget to hit subscribe and I'll see you next time.